They locked up and I didn't know, but it was great because it was warm. So I was inside this clo fully closed small strip mall until like the maintenance guy came in the morning and I was like, cool, I slept on a bench. Yeah. <laughs> what? Bro? Pretty good. Pretty good for two years. Only two times that I got kind of caught out there. I always found a place to go, you know? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Gamble's Green Room. I'm your host, Mike Gamble, bringing you the people you need to know, the stories you want to hear. Today, I'm joined by a primo of mine from Brooklyn. Uh, it's really funny because uh, most of the time I have been talking to uh, dancers and everything, but he reached out and was like, yo, do you only interview dancers or do you like, do you speak to us? Like, I'll talk to whatever my friends want to talk to me. So happy to have him here. He's an MC from Brooklyn. He He's been from Brooklyn to Norway. Now he's in California. Uh, he's an MC. He's worked for Audible. He's actually the creator of a new children's book called Rhymosaurs, bringing dinosaurs and rhythm and rhymes together for the kiddies. It's my primo, as I said, yeah. Mr. Orlando Zeps Molina in the house. What's up, bro? Thank you, Mike. This is fantastic. When, when I remember when I hit you up, my connection was I'm an MC, but I host dance battles. So is that cool? That was my little <laughs> way of trying to sneak in. Like, I know, like, because every, like you said, all your guests that I listen to, I'm like, it's mostly dancers and choreographers and judges. And I was like, but the MC hosts the battles. That's another angle. But it's not, it's, but you know what? This isn't even about dance. It's just because I know so many, well, I know so many artists as well. But if you look at the tag of the show, it actually is dancers, choreographers, dancers, choreographers, performing artists who are in the, who are in their field. It's not just dancers. So you, but you were yeah, the first, yeah, yeah. actually you're not. I just had my friend, uh, Tolion, who's a casting director, but you're the first MC that I, that I've had on. I made it in. Hey, always gotta be a first, right? Yeah. 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 I love it, man. So like I said, we met, well, I like I said, we met in Norway when I moved to Sweden and we met in 2010, don't even know how we're going to get into how you got there, but we're going to start. I always start from the beginning. I remember how I remember why we connected because of mutual friend, Mike Lieberman. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Brooklyn. That's, that's was, my, he was one of my, my older brother's best, best buds in, in back in Brooklyn. Yeah. And he put, he, he's the one who put the Scandinavian thing together. Like, wait, Mike's in Sweden. And what did he used to call me? Little, Taco, little sofrito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably, he called my brother a taco, which is uh, funny because we're not Mexican. No, hey. but so so. <laughs> Leaves and I are the two most like he's Jewish, so our nickname was Black and Jew. <laughs> I love it. I love so, it. So yeah, it was your brother was Tito, also taco, and then there Tito. was Tito, and then there was Tito, uh, Tito. Henry, who was Snake. I don't know why it was Snake, and then it was me, and I became Escape Black from New York. Yeah, I don't know. And then I was just known as black. <laughs> so actually, I actually just talked to him and his son. But how did you know him being from Philly, though? School? School, yeah. Oh, yeah. that makes sense. Yes, yes, yes. And That's then, so funny, dude. And then I, I hung out with the crew. Uh, I came up, I hung out in Brooklyn a couple of times, but never saw you there. But Tito and I hung out a bunch, which is funny because I thought yeah, your brother, yeah. because I thought your brother's name was Tito for like, three years before I found out it wasn't. I would have, I would assume so. I, those were the years when he had his own friends. I had my own friends and he was like a little embarrassed of his little brother. Cause I was a, a wild little hip hop kid. Um, 
But I do remember when we hung out because, you know, the World Cup just finished. Yeah, we watched the Ghana game in the square in Norway. (laughs) I still tell people stories of that because we all had all the Americans in one section, just like 20 of us. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get to that. Oh, that was sick, dude. That was so fun. All right, let's, let's 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 back up to Brooklyn for a little bit. Back up to Brooklyn, yep. So, born and raised in Brooklyn. Sheepshead Bay, Gravesend, yeah. That's why I have this accent. Yeah, <laughs> the raspy Brooklyn accent. <laughs> it's also the the way I say the words. It's very because of south the south part of Brooklyn. It still has that. My I have an Irish Italian stepfather, mm-hmm. so it still has that soprano y kind of Goodfellas type <laughs> of what are you doing, bro? And I'm Puerto Rican. It don't matter if you're Korean, Albanian, Turkish, Filipino. When you live down in Bensonhurst, Bay Ridge, Gravesend, you ha- you talk like this. You can't help it, no matter what. Bro. Like, it's, just, it's just how you speak. So it's funny. All right, that's so, my voice. And then for for anybody who doesn't know, for any reason, you're sleeping under a rock. But some of the greatest MCs that we have in the rap game are from Brooklyn. We've got Hove, Jay Z, uh, Nas. Yep. Uh, Queens, he's Queens. Nas, Nas is, Queens? is Queens. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Big, uh, Biggie, Biggie fabulous, fabulous. MC Light, Sean Price, rest in peace. Sean P, Duck Down Records, yeah. Luke Camp Click. Uh, there's uh, many, many legendary Brooklyn MCs. Special Ed, I think. Maybe I think Master Ace too. Master Ace is definitely from Brooklyn. You know, yeah. So, yeah. What, there's some, there's some, yeah. Lil Kim, Lil Kim, yes, of course. Can't forget the Queen Bee. So, what was that your intro into? Yeah. What, what was your intro into MCing and hip hop? Like, how old were you? Do you remember? I think it was probably. I actually remember vividly before I got into even rapping. I lived in an apartment building on East 16th Street, Avenue U, mm-hmm. and the older kids of the Avenue U boys, they would be right in front of the building with a big-ass boombox bumping what they loved. So I'm, I'm at this point, I'm 12, 12, 13, and it's like 1993-ish, 94, and to the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, Cypress mm-hmm. Hill, like uh, um, Insane in the Membrane. And, um, insane uh, in the Membrane! Yeah, there was some Onyx playing, a lot of mm-hmm. Duck Down. So this is what I was privy to. Where I'm here's the funny part. I'm listening to my parents' music. I'm listening to like Nat King Cole and Bette Midler and Gloria Estefan and uh Linda Ronstadt, you know what I'm saying? Like because yeah. that's what my parents have now. And then at the same time, I hear like cream and like Nas songs, you know, from I'm blanking out on Nas's first album. But the one with like DJ Premier Beats and stuff like that. That was, that was an Illmatic. That was the second one. Illmatic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, was um, so those were the songs I heard just being a kid in Brooklyn, like playing outside. Mm-hmm. And then the, my first cassette tape was Onyx. I think it was Back the F Up <laughs> with the scrunchy face logo on the front. And I remember going to the music shop because I bought Onyx, that album, on tape. And I bought Nirvana and Utero on tape. I was like, I want a rock and a hip-hop record because I like both. <laughs> and I was like, I should buy one of each. It wasn't until high school until kids were like doing like beats on the lunchroom table. So I'm yeah. like 16 at that point. Like, 
Yo, Mike Gamble rhymes you can't handle. My name is Zeps. You call me Orlando. Yo, and they're doing beats in the lunchroom. Yeah, that's when I was like, oh, I could rhyme too. Like, I could. It was silly and goofy. It was more jokey raps and rhyming about school lunch and the old teachers. That's kind of how I started. Just like I was like a young weird owl, <laughs> just parodying everything. So yeah, so like my own version of it. <laughs> so you said you said your brother was embarrassed because you were like a wild hip hop kid type thing. Were you were you like were you like a bad kid or were you just like into everything? Both. I was into the culture, but I was teetering on the side of on the side of bad because I was the silly goofy one in, of the Avenue U boys. Uh-huh. But uh, a lot of them were doing illegal activity and or I was even unintentionally doing illegal activity, not realizing it because you're 15. Right. So for example, back then smoking a, a blunt in public was taboo. You can get arrested. You can go to central bookings, the whole nine. This is 1998, you know, mm-hmm. and your 14, 15 year old brain. I want to be somewhere safe indoors. So the cops don't catch me. I can do my little thing, eat my munchies and then write rhymes with my friends and hang out and do my hip hop thing. That's, that was my mindset. Get a little baked, write rhymes, freestyle cipher. How can I do that without getting in trouble? Oh, there's a, a op- an open window of a condo that's fully renovated and, you know, there's no there's no furniture. There's no people in there. They won't know. We, you know, me and three friends open the window. We're smoking safely. The cops don't know. Yay. We cipher in the empty apartment. We leave. That's breaking and entering. I didn't know that. Uh, uh, I, just, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't stealing anything. In. I wasn't harassing anybody. I didn't rob anybody. I was thought I was doing something smart. It was it was super actually on the spectrum of dumb. Anyway, things like that. So uh-huh. I was always Angel's brother. Oh, that's Angel's brother. That's that's Tito's little brother, you know? And then when I started getting good at rhyming, then it felt good when it was like, oh, that's Zepp's brother. That's Zepp's brother. Ah, and I was like, yeah, I finally do something better than him. He's good <laughs> at everything. He's so, the best. Everything I... Yeah, anyway. Where where did you get the name Zepp's from? Graffiti. Just graffiti, man. It was just like a, a name I like to write. I just like the letters. I actually started writing Taze, T-A-Z-E. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the T and the A. It just the letters weren't flowing. I liked the Z and the E. I added a P. There was a Zep in Queens. Like I go to see my grandma and I see Z E P just bombed everywhere. Like, and I'm like, well, I don't want graffiti beef. I've heard stories. I don't want to go toe to toe with another guy for a, a tag. So it went from Taze to Zep, and then Zep, uh, Zeps, because my friend was like, throw an S at the end, bro. Don't worry about it. It's different. And it was different. So I was like, cool. And then I put the little Puerto Rican flag as the E in my logo. And it just evolved from a graffiti to a rap name. There's no meaning. There's no real acronym. I made acronyms. Mm. You know, but Zeps enjoys pizza slices, zooted every possible second. (laughs) It made, it's not, it's really nothing. It was just because it felt good writing his graffiti. And then it turned into a rap name. I tried to have like a rap name like Renegade or Complex or Illicit or it just didn't feel right. Yeah. So so are your are your tagging skills still up to par? I'm uh, I'm mid tier. I use it in my children's books. A lot of all of the hand styles, most of the throwies and the little mm-hmm. straight letter pieces and amongst my children's books is my my style. Yeah. I actually teach I teach it to kids now. I teach them a very simple technique, how to use pencil and eraser and how to write your name and then give each letter a 
force field or a, or a bubble jacket with mm-hmm. marker. You erase the pencil part, and then you have instant block letters. So I am in using it. I'm, it's funny. I got arrested for it. Those same stories I told you about climbing into apartment buildings. I got I got caught some a few times with stickers and tagging with markers, and arrested and went through the system. And now I'm using it to educate kids. <laughs> yeah, turn baby. it around, baby. Three sixty, full circle. You know, make mm-hmm. a lesson into a so lifestyle. Yeah, dope. I'm not doing wild burners or nothing on the side of trains. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm just uh, simple bubble letters to make my to market my stuff and give it the hip hop feel for the kids. All right. Word. Which developed first, your rhyming or your artistry? Your uh... Definitely the graffiti because it was just, I was already doodling as a kid. Mm. So the, the, the doodling and the drawing made, then got funneled into the graffiti. The graffiti gave me my name. And while I was doing, hitting people's black books, going to the post office and taking those blank priority mail stickers to lace those up and slap them around. I was doing that at the same time. I was listening to the Wu-Tang and the Onyx and the Bette Midler and the, and the Nirvana and the, and the, and the, and the, and the Willie Colón as well. And like the, you know, the Hector Lavoe stuff, the Puerto Rican as yeah. well is in there, the salsa. Thus all of the artistry of the music and the graffiti turned into, Oh, I can rhyme these little like funny parody things. Like I was saying before, Weed Al Dankovich. That's what I used to call myself. Weed I would just change Al Yankovich. <laughs> Dank, Dank, Dankovich. Dankovich, bruh. Double <laughs> puns. Double pun. Double pun. Pun hundred. Because every song, I would just try and change it into something with <clears throat> with trees. All right. But then my friends were like, "Yo, you could seriously write, bro. Like, stop rhyming silly and try and rhyme more metaphors and." try and put more similes in there and like be serious about it. And I was like, all right. I'll f- and I was like, Ooh, I am. Pre- this is fun. Like it's just writing rhymes and expressing myself. It got me out of the streets. So, you know, all of these stories of Brooklyn and breaking and entering and going to the Bronx and chilling with the real Puerto Ricans and in, in, in park Chester and co-op city shouts to Chris Krills. That, that kid specifically helped me develop and feel like a real rapper. Cause he was so into it. So I was like, oh, I'm chilling with real Puerto Ricans from the Bronx now. And I'm not just like, hey, what are you doing, bro? I'm like, we're real Puerto Ricans. So I was like, I got to step it up. I got to step up my Puerto Ricanness. I got to get more hip hop. I got to be a better MC. You know what I'm saying? So I love that dude. Yeah, there was there was a wild crew of, of, of Puerto Ricans I chilled with. Tombone. And then I went to high school with this kid named Efren. And then Mazda Chris26 and Rick and... All these dudes, they're all still, they all still chill together in the Bronx. They all got kids. They gave, they made me feel okay to be like a different Puerto Rican. Nice. Cause there's a, there's a little, there's like little subsections of it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those guys are the best. So then I got real serious. So I was like, I think I can do this. It's not just a joke anymore. I'll, I'll jump in a cypher with other MCs and people were like, all right, who's this funny little guy with the glasses? And it, it gave me confidence to keep trying, you know? Nice. So now you're in high school, right? Yep. Same time with all those guys I just mentioned pretty yeah. much. Did junior year. Did your did your writing skills, did you parlay that into your schoolwork? Like for 
like your English class and stuff with all the writing projects? Did you did you try and incorporate or start learning more techniques for your writing for all the similes and metaphor type writing or like the uh, subtonal messages? I'm getting I'm- that's a mad good question. It's that's a very good question. That's why I'm the host. You know what? <laughs> I think I did that unintentionally. I think. <laughs> I yeah. I guess I look back now and I did. If any school project asked for anything with poetry or rhyming i was ready for it i was like well i got this nice. and vice versa learning simple things of like simile syllables onomatopoeia love that word uh word uh, wordplay and like metaphors like you learn all that in school mm-hmm. now it's funny back to the teaching like my mom teaching kids the same thing so when i teach i teach creative writing to kids like rhyme writing yeah and now I'm doing that. So I'm like showing them how to rhyme. Hey, can you rhyme gamble with candle? That's two syllables. Handle. I like my eggs. And then some kids like scrambled. I'm like, yeah. Do you get it? So I'm teaching that to children now. Damn, Mike, you just opened up a whole box of good worms, gummy worms. Yeah, bruh. That's, that's why I do what I, just, I do. I realized. Shouts to my English teachers, man. Dang, I wish I remember their names. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I love. Thank you for helping me on this path of being an author now, a, a kids' book author. I guess I've been a writer my whole life, graffiti writer, yeah. rhyme writer, children's children's book writer. Nice. Ghost writer. Ghost writer. J.R. Writer. <laughs> remember Isaiah Writer? Yeah. The dunk. He was the illest, one of the illest dunkers. I ran out of writers. See, so I, I thought I had more. It's it's all good. We got you. That's what we need right now. We got the one that we need. Scribe. Yes. <laughs> the troubadour. The troubadour. So then, so then I have another question going back to school because you were inadvertently doing all this uh, criminal activities. What we'll say, but you know, like sure, stupid yeah. shit, as we say. Weed and hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did. You, once you, I don't want to say you turned around, but you know what I mean? Once you got into the cre- the creative writing aspect of it, did you see a change in the way that you're interacting in school? Did you become less of the, not class clown, but the funny guy? Did you, or did you maintain that? Or was it a combination? No, of, yeah. You know what I mean? I stayed funny guy. I stayed funny guy because it was my way of sticking out from the other guys that were mad serious or mad gangster. And their rhymes. Mm-hmm. I stayed funny guy, but I also started like working, like, like I always worked from a young age. So I turned it around also to make my parents proud because I was like, if I really want to rap, I need money to burn CDs and make album covers. I need to have money for studio time. I got to pay a, a DJ to scratch on my records. I knew I needed money to pursue this new thing. So I started to work and stop doing as much shit and getting in trouble. I worked at a temp agency. You know, at that point I was graduated. I graduated high school and foregoed college to just work nine to fives at these like little law firms. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know, in Soho and Midtown and Upper West Side working at these law firms for a three month contract. And it's like 19 an hour and you're 19 years old with your own apartment. I was, I turned around quickly. I was like, I don't need to do none of that wild stuff anymore. I'm independent. I'm making music. I have a job. I have an apartment and a roommate. Bla- now I'm blazing safely in my own backyard. <laughs> and uh, 
Yeah, I don't, you know, I think it's because my parents were always like hustle, like work for you. Like my stepfather would tell me to get a shovel from spend your piggy, make money, get a shovel from Home Depot, shovel some driveways, make some snow money. Yeah, use the snow money, get a second shovel, give one shovel to your boy, you'll do double the garages, make more money. My mom was like, go to the dollar store and buy cheap things and package them and bundle them into little gift baskets and then set up a table outside the apartment building and hustle gift baskets around holidays. Like I was doing that as a young, at a young age, making money. So I'm a, I'm a New York kid. I used to commute to the city every day for school. I went to art and design. So I'm taking the subway four years straight, Q train from Sheepshead Bay all the way to Midtown, hour and a half one way. So three hours commuting each day as a teenager, that that strengthens you as a city kid. It makes you like a tough, nomadic, you know what I'm saying? Like I was exploring the five boroughs because all my friends were, you know, my man Collis was in Staten Island. My man, my man Jesse was in Queens. Chris Krills was in the Bronx, who I spoke of earlier. My Mm -hmm. man Felton was in Flatbush. So I'm, I'm exploring Flatbush with Felton and Rensford and those dudes. You know, so this made this made me the MC I was because I went from Puerto Rican Brooklyn kid in Sheepshead Bay into like city kid, mm-hmm. five boroughs kid. I was a five boroughs guy now. So I'm, there was actually a term for that. If you were a b boy or a, bra- a breaker or a graffiti guy or a DJ that rocked everywhere, you were called all city. Like yo, that dude's all city, bro. I remember that term. It meant that you broke out of your borough and you were known around. Didn't matter if you were in Harlem, yeah, wherever. No, oh. but back up real so quick. Did was, you just call yourself a Puerto Rican? That's what I mentioned earlier about when I went to Spanish Harlem. When yeah, I went no, to, it's, I have never Castle Hill. In yeah, all of my years, <laughs> I have never <laughs> heard. And for those that don't understand what the word we just said is, he's another word play, and Florida. he's sort of a Puerto Rican. Yeah. <laughs> a Puerto Rican. Oh my god, I, I didn't <laughs> coin that. It's been floating around for like 20 years, that phrase, but I embrace it because I was called it. And I'm like, you know what? I am. My accent, I don't like that drink, Malta. I hate it. So that, that makes me less Puerto Rican. My, I still don't know how to properly dance salsa and I have to learn for my wife that, you know, you throw that in there, but I make up for it in the, in the kitchen. I'm nice with it. With the, ah, with the Puerto Rican we got the culinary skills. I balanced it out. That's where the sofrito came from. Sofrito pito. Yeah, that's my wacky little chef nickname. Yeah. I make it from scratch, bro. I, I don't play games. Just like my hip hop. Hey, ch- 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 hey, come on, wordplay all day. Dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now we're hitting all, now you're an all city kid. You're in all five boroughs. You're getting known. Uh, you got your hustle yeah. to make money to get the studio time to get the DJs. When did you make your first mixtape or? Wow. That's a good question. I think it was. So I was fresh out of high school. It might have been very early 2000s, like 2002-ish, one, maybe. I think my first one was this thing called No More MC. I still have the flyer, dude. I wish I... It's in a box somewhere, but (laughs) I'm on a rooftop looking mad serious. I was sick of being MC Zeps. I didn't want to be MC Light, MC 8, MC Ren. Yeah. I love those MCs, but I didn't want the MC Zeps as my moniker. Mm-hmm. So the my first first like little mixtape thing was called No More MC because I was letting everyone just Zeps, bro. That's my logo now. I got the Puerto Rican flag as the E. I'm just Zeps. Stop calling me MC Zeps. Don't put it on flyers. Don't call me that. Don't introduce me as that. 
I was very adamant about getting rid of the MC part. I wanted to just have the one syllable name with the logo. All right. Who started? Full circle now. I want I brought it back because now I host battles. I'm like, yo, put it on the flyer, put MC Zeps. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm MC Zeps again. So who who originally started calling you MC? Did you give yourself the name MC? Did you give the title MC? Or was it just because you were rhyming? People were like, oh, that's MC Zeps. That was it. It was more an elemental thing because I knew I was deep into like I should learn about this culture. So I knew about Cool Herc and the breaking, and I was mm-hmm. learning about uh, the fact that breaking is called that because of drum breaks and then, you know, the graffiti and, and the bombing. So I was like, because Zeps was my graffiti name, but now it's my rap name. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, you know, I tag Zeps and I'm graffiti Zeps. But when I'm rhyming, I'm MC Zeps, y'all. So, you know, I'm a rapper now. Like, ooh, <laughs> look at the two. And- <laughs> That's, you know, I didn't have a cool, my real name isn't a good, like Eric Sermon, Reggie Noble, Kendrick Lamar. Those are cool, real names that could be a rap name. Orlando Molina, the syllable structure is off. You can't, it's not a stage name. So I couldn't use my real name. So Zeps, MC Zeps, because I rap, dude. All capitals too. I've been telling people for 21 years, all caps. Why you? But anyway. <laughs> I will make sure when I, I will make sure that when we do your promo, it's in all caps. Z-E-P-S, all caps. I got you. And you said Rhymosaurus correctly because people say Rhymosaurus and I'm like, there's no you at the end. No, Rhymosaurus. I, if you freaking Thanks, read bro. it, that's what it says. Like, I don't know. I just pay that's attention. All <laughs> all right, we're going yeah. to come to Rhymosaurus in a little bit. When, uh, so do, do you happen to remember one of your first, one of your first uh, verses? No, I feel like most people in interview, in inter- like podcasts and interviews remember that, but no, mainly because we were just freestyling a lot. Yeah, I, I remember things I rhymed about back then. Like what? Because I was, I just rhymed about my surroundings. So like I was house party freestyle kid, like trying to impress girls. So like, if like you were in the, you were at the house party with me, I'd mm-hmm. be like, Hey, yo, I got the rapid flow. I like Tabasco, yo. Shouts to me and Mike matching with the black and gold. He got the hat sideways. Let me do it too. Yo, I'm going to tell you something that I love hip hop. That's true. Shouts to this girl to the left with the pink shirt. Kick of freestyles. But yo, I got to think first. And she was like, oh my God, I'm wearing a pink shirt. You rhymed about me. <laughs> and, that, and I was my little icebreaker to like meet people, meet producers, say hi to somebody. You know what I'm saying? That was, I don't remember what I wrote because I was like, I, those mixtapes are somewhere, but it was a lot of rhyming in the park, rhyming at jungle juice parties, rhyming at house parties, rhyming at the beach, just freestyling and, and, and practicing that. I, it was more, it was an attention grabber. Look what I can do. I can rhyme about your boots. Nice. I can rhyme about your mountain gear boots. Remember mountain gears? I, I Comically, I have a pair in storage still. <laughs> Word up, <dude. laughs> Yeah. A day. I was like, yo, I had Dolomites, dude. Remember Dolomites? Of course. Those are the best snow boots for, for Philly and New York winters. Uh, well, style-wise, it's still tint, bro. Well, I'm, I'm saying foot-wise for me, flat-footed, my foot's okay. different. Dolomites yeah. were my jam. They fit my feet good. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about classic 90s footwear, footwear from the back Boom in Bath the Bath. East Coast. Yeah. Mountain Gears, Tim's. There was another one. Uh, oh, it was Lugs. the Nike ACGs that had the. Uh, I have. 
I have ACGs right in my in my garage, dude. Those are my rain boots. Bro, I love do, those. Do you remember like the multicolored ones that were like turquoise? Like oh, yeah. I I remember having them. They were my favorite boots. I wore these things into the ground. They were tor- like they were turquoise, red, orange, yellow. They were yeah. my AC my Nike ACGs, bro. All conditions gear. And for the all conditions gear by Nike. What? So we're at parties. You are rap. You're freestyling about whatever you. Sorry, see. I'm swiping things away to make it easier. Yeah. <laughs> we're at parties. You're rapping about whatever you see. Girls, pink boots, pink shirts, ACGs, uh, mountain gears, blah 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 blah. Um, so we're freestyling. <laughs> when uh, did you did you once you once you had your mixtape done? Did you do again because you're commuting on the train anyway? Were you doing the street hustle with selling like CDs for five dollars? Here, hit up like busting a rhyme on uh, like Forty Second and Broadway. Did you did you do did you go that route as well? Mm-hmm. Like the guys selling CDs in yeah. Times Square kind of dudes like yeah. that. No, I was more just trying to find the open mic circuit. At that point, you're getting invited to little like low key hole in the wall bars around the city mm-hmm. and performing at places on the back of a bar, or they have like a little platform stage at some Russian nightclub or, or you're in Astoria, Queens uh, at some classic rock venue that normally has heavy metal and punk shows, but you're somewhere in the middle of Elmer's Queens rocking a little show over there. Uh, there was a wild place we used to perform. I was in this crew called the New York Rhyme Exchange. Mm-hmm. This is early 20s. That was, it was a fun crew. Lex and Amen, my man Sway Jury, Shadow, um, Taewon, good peeps. We would rock at this place called the Pussycat Lounge. It was in the financial district. The bottom was a a bikini bar. It was literally women on the bar with poles in full bikinis while you're watching sports and drinking. And then they had stairs and upstairs with this dope mini venue that just fit like a perfect like 70 people, perfect stage, six sound system bar. Second level venue, bikini bar on the bottom, Pussycat Lounge. And I rock shows there with them and my other crew, Point Dot Period. This is very New York, secretive kind of New York things that you, if you didn't, not from there, you wouldn't experience. Because next door was a deli, like a bacon, egg, and cheese kind of bodega <laughs> spot. Yeah. With, with a secret hidden, like, bar, like, you had to know the guy. And if you were cool with him, he would give you, don't worry about it. And when there was no other customers, he'd say go. And it was a secret door behind like the the drinks. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a a titty bar, a booby bar in a bodega hiding with all these Colombian and Ecuadorian girls from Queens. Bro, I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> secret booby bar behind a bodega. <laughs> but the guy loved us. We were, it's because it was hip hop. He would see us ciphering outside. You know, he'd be like, yo, come do a freestyle in the store. He was just mad cool. He would he would let us buy cheap booze, like cheap beers. Mm-hmm. And he would let us put it in coffee cups. And we would just, so we wouldn't have the brown paper bag and get in trouble. We would sip Coronas we bought from his store. So he loved us because we brought him business. Yeah. And then that's when he was like, these, ki- these kids are cool. You guys want to go in the back? And we were like, ah, this is crazy. <laughs> I tell people that story. They're like, that's not real. I'm like, that was a real place. That's why it's called underground, people. Crazy times. So this is the places I was performing at. Nice. 
I'm not trying to make it as a rapper, you know? Okay. So you were, oh, so this is interesting. I need to, I need to, I need to phrase this question. It's it's not, it's not like trying to be, I just don't know the exact. Sure. Sure. So you weren't trying to do, okay. You weren't trying to do the CD route type, uh, rap. You were more into like, yeah, I I was making albums. I was trying to, but I could tell I was figuring it out. So I felt like I should keep practicing before I really want to put more things out. Uh So it was more that I have early mixtapes. Um, it's when I started joining these crews, New York rhyme exchange point dot period, the Staten Island crew I was part of called the freak show. This is all city, all dudes from New York city that rapped and made me go, man, these guys are dope. I'm in this rap crew. I need to get better. And now I'm recording songs with them. How did you find them? Oh, that's a good question. Point out period was neighborhood guys, Jayhan and eternal. And these guys, Nam and so's they're all neighborhood sheepshead, Bay graves and kind of peeps. Then the New York rhyme exchange was through. Damn. How did I first meet those guys? I got to ask my man, I, but I yeah. don't know. Just, I guess maybe work and maybe start the Dutch. I don't know. But that was uh, the freak show was I met them at this open Michael EOW and they were like the wild Staten Island kids that everybody was like, Yo, who are these Staten Island kids? And I loved it. I loved how crazy they were. Mm. They brought out a very dark side of me that I needed to get out because silly funny guy was always there. Mm -hmm. But having these wild Italian kids from Staten Island that rapped, they were like they had a Wu-Tang vibe to them. They were very dusty and grimy. So all three crews I was in kind of brought a different MC side out of me. And then I finally had the confidence to go, all right, I'm rhyming with all these dudes. I could put out solo material. Nice. And then I was, you know, going to the CD duplication spots all the way up on like Adam Clayton Boulevard on like 135th street mm-hmm. where they would do the black with the black playing and do the little slippy little insert with the track list. I'd get a hundred or 200 of those order, order it from them. Go pick up the box, lug it on the subway, have it ready for the shows. I was doing it. I just wasn't in the streets going, yo, listen to my album with a disc man. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was more, I just, I just performed for eight of you at a bar. Who wants to buy my album? Did, did you like what I did up there? Security guy and bartender? Cool. <laughs> Here's my mixtape. <laughs> it was a lo- lofty dream, man. This was the years of record labels and you want to be on Aristo, or you want to yeah. get on Interscope, or you're trying to, you want to be on, on the face record. That's what I was asking, you know? Yep. Yeah. I wanted that. It never happened. And then that's kind of what led into, this is my early and mid twenties is what led into my first trip to Norway was because I went to Oslo because my friend couldn't go. His like his passport and his visa was, was just being tricky. So I was a replacement guy. I was literally coming off the bench. For what? Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play for this little <laughs> mini tour in in Oslo and Bergen. A, a rap, a rap battle tour. Uh, a, a... no, it was actually performing for McDonald's Norwegian employees and their families. McDonald's sponsored a street show. You know, Scandinavians love to call it a street show. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was literally for all of the employees. They all got to bring family and friends at a giant venue in Oslo and Bergen mm-hmm. customer, not customer employee appreciation concert. So this dance studio got the contract and the money and it was a dance studio with B boys and poppers. These two Norwegian, like 
talk show comedian guys hosting this super sultry, voluptuous R&B singer girl who was like mixed race. What was her name? Mira Craig. Great, great lady. She's a mom now, I think. She's a really good lady. So it was like R&B, talk show comedians, B-boys and popping, two rappers from Brooklyn, McDonald Street Show. Like that was the bill. <laughs> Mind you, I'm rocking uh, for 12 people at the Colombian Booby Bar. And then I get Norway on all expenses, Radisson Blue, 3,000 people at the venue with the balcony filled, security guy with the earpiece t- throwing me a towel and a bottle of water going, you're up next. Your, your logo's on the Jumbotron. You guys ready? Ah, it was like all of those like dreams of record label rapping. I got a, I got a taste of it for two weeks. You know what I mean? Like just thrown in there. Oh, here you go. This is what it's like really like to be like a real rapper. <laughs> I was like... <gasps> This is amazing. Bro, I'm performing. The B-Boys learned routines to the songs I was rocking. When I told all the 3,000 Norwegian people to throw your hand, to see the wave of 3,000 arms, like, I never felt any of that until Oslo and Bergen. You ever been to Bergen? Beautiful place. I've never been to Bergen. Been to Oslo a number of times. I'm going to connect you with some peeps. I know some dance peeps out there. Don't worry about it. We'll talk talk about it. After the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It opened my doors. It opened my my world. I'm not wearing it now because I took a shower, but I wear a Norwegian kroner on a on a on like a, oh nice on a dog tag chain because it has a hole in it. I wear it every day to remind me. Every poster I saw, this is ninety. When was this? Two thousand and seven. Mm-hmm. This trip I'm speaking of is two thousand seven. Everywhere I went in the streets, there was like performing live, nonfiction, DJ Tony Touch, premiere live in Oslo. Uh, boot camp play. It was very underground posters everywhere. And I was like, yo, these guys are like really surviving out here. All those OGs that can't fill up a small venue in New York. You can go to Bulgaria, you go to, Cro- you know, you go to Croatia, you yeah. go to uh, Liechtenstein, you're rocking for 2,000 people. You go to Poland, you're rocking for 3,000 people because they love your classics. And I saw how much they love the underground. It inspired me to go, you know what? I'm going to move here one day. I'm just going to change my life and, and live here and see what I can do in this culture. Since they love boom bap and they love my New York accent and I'm Puerto Rican and I stick out, the odds are better here. The numbers, as opposed to going against the grain and trying to be amongst a sea of Latino rappers in New York City, mm-hmm. let me be the one Puerto Rican guy with the thick New York accent in Oslo. Let me be that guy. Yeah. Find your niche. And it took yeah, I went home after that trip and all I dreamt of was Norway. I got the corona on my neck. I got a new job and and I literally was just pretending to want to like do good at this job to make money to go back. And that was my path. And I went back. When did you, I was going to say when did you go back? 2 years of saving money, 2009. I oh, finally I had a wild ex-girlfriend and I was like, I need to have an ocean in between us. And I just needed to go far, far away. And I finally pulled the trigger. I bought a one-way ticket, Mike, when I met you. This leads to me meeting you. Yeah, because I... One-way ticket. So I moved to Sweden in September of 2009. So we pretty much moved at the same time. Yeah. Dope. And you did like me. I went in the dead of winter because my friend told me, everyone's hibernating. You should just be the guy. And he's like, in the winter, all the rappers take it easy. So I went from my birthday, I spent Christmas there, my birthday through January and February, I did a three month stay. Mm -hmm. Then I went back to Puerto Rico to see my family, 
because you have to like go home to do like a tourist visa and come back for another three months. I was yeah. I did that for two years. Yeah, because you were back and forth back a and lot. Because when I met you, I thought you were I thought you were living living there, but you were just doing the three month three months as a nomad. So I was yeah. sleeping in studios, recording places, cooking for people, crashing on couches, just doing all that. I would rock. I would go to after parties after the club, just to party with people so that the trains and the buses start running again until like six in the morning, you know? Yeah. Then I would, I would ride the, te- the, the Oslo subway and sleep on it for a bit back and forth. Stop to stop. It would warm up. I'd go to a, a park, take a little park nap, wake up and everyone's barbecuing, throwing Frisbees around me, wilding out with boom boxes and like being, you know, like I'd wake up to people picnicking and then get back on the phone and go, yo, who wants to record? Come to my studio. Boom. Take a shower at that studio. Record two songs. Rock an open mic, go to another after party, sleep on another couch. That was my life for almost two years. Wow. Sick, dude. I was homeless out of those two years. Twice I was left out in the streets. And I had one time I had to sleep in a lobby of a building because it just had heat on. So that was sick. And then the second time, oh, the second time it was, uh, I kind of got trapped in like a a strip, like an indoor shopping mall. They locked up and I didn't know, but it was great because it was warm. So I was inside this clo- fully closed small strip mall until like the maintenance guy came in the morning and I was like, cool, I slept on a bench. Yeah. <laughs> what, bro? Pretty good, pretty good for two years. Only two times that I got co- kind of caught out there. I always found a place to go, you know, or just a very warm Norwegians that embraced me and said, hey, come crash. You know, I'd make them a little American breakfast, whip up some pancakes, some pancakes. A dance studio guy let, gave, gave me a, a butter knife and taught me how to open this secret door that had a shower with a locker room and some like like a soft pad, roll-up pad. It was like for the maintenance workers that have to stay the weekend and, and work on, on the building. It was for them. But he's like, yeah, this is how you jimmy the lock with the butter knife. I, I'll hide it up here above the fire extinguisher. I lived in there for like six months. What? <laughs> Just to be around Norway. <laughs> It was awesome. Which it, it like makes you appreciate music and art more when you have to bust your hump like that. You were living the freelance artist life, bro. <laughs> but I knew none of this. I was. But while all that grinding was happening, the dance. Yeah, this was my life in Oslo for two years. Also, while I'm there, I'm taking buses to Malmo. Then going to Copenhagen and rocking in Copenhagen and doing shit. And then I'm going to Germany. Like, cause you know how it is when you're in Oslo, everything around me was 45 minutes, an hour, yeah. two hours away. I mean, Mama was an eight hour bus ride, but I, w- I would, I would rock a show in Norway, make money, eight hour bus to Mama, rock a show in Mama, boom, go to Copenhagen, go to Christiania. How you doing? <laughs> DJ Typhoon. I'm rocking at that place called Rust with Camp Low yep. and like Black Milk. It's nuts. Back to Norway. And I would just do that. I'm in London. I went, I was in Germany because a bunch of my people from New York did a world champion. I'm in Germany for a little bit, but home base was Oslo. And I just kept hopping around. Oh, my stepfather would go to, Mike Lieberman knows my, remember my stepdad. He would go to Amsterdam, annual trip. I would yeah. just take a little plane, hang out with step pops, rock in Amsterdam, go back to Norway. Sick. What? All right. But so- the, the, Okay, go again. No, go, 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 go. I remember. I was going to say, because now it connects to the dance world. I was scraping by with that because I wasn't getting really paid a lot to warm up for the big, all the American like rappers that came to Norway. I was, I was the, 
uh, the warm up guy. Back. Yeah. If it, it didn't pay nothing. It was when the dance people were like, we need an MC. We need a guy in English because there's people from other countries here. We can't have a Norwegian host. You're good at freestyling and just kind of working the crowd. And they was all they all saw me like warming up for Method Man, killing it for a thousand people and doing freestyle crowd work. And they were like, oh, snap. And I knew a lot of the dancers because of the that first trip. Yeah. I knew a lot of the B-boards. And I said, you know what? I'm a man of culture and I want to call myself a real MC. I will not be a real MC if I don't tackle this new thing. If I don't try and be a dance battle host, I'm just a rapper. Let me really become an MC now. Mm-hmm. So I will always love the dance community and always have a big heart for that first dance studio, Oslo Street Dance, Kimmy and Stieg. And then also Soul Sessions gave me my first battle. Yeah. They were dope. the first people ever to go, <laughs> yo, you want to host a battle? And I was like, what? It was whacking and popping. And I went on YouTube because I didn't know what whacking was. <laughs> and I YouTubed it. And I watched it all night just like to study. And I was fascinated by whacking. I was like, this is beautiful. The arms and the elbows. Anyway. First battle, Oslo, underground basement club, whacking, popping. I met this ill chick named Ida from Denmark, who was like a, a whacking kind of queen. And I just fell into this world of dance battles. And then they started doing their big annual, like, you know, annual gig that was like three-day festival. You want to host that? And then my mom got sick, so I had to go back to Brooklyn. And I was like, sorry, guys, I live in New York again. Being a good boy and being a good son. And they're like, we'll fly you. Well, I have no couches to crash on. Put you in a hotel. I, I'm kind of broke too. Per diem. And we're going to pay you. And I was like, oh, I'll be there. <laughs> and that was about 2013, where annually I'm in Norway hosting multiple dance festivals. And that's like this recurring gig. I'm working at Audible now. I'm working. I'm doing both. I'm like nine to five guy using my vacation time to go host in Norway. And that was my life for, that was great. And then COVID. (laughs) Okay. Hold on. So I just just did a very, very fast. No, no, it's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring it back and bring it back and connect. And it says what I want to do. I want to, what I want to do is connect. One thing is that I was going to ask you if it was Stieg. Because comically, the the first time I was in Oslo uh, when we met that summer of 2010 was when Stig brought me over for a workshop with Nick the Nerd from Denmark. So I so I so my first gig was at Oslo Street Dance, teaching a workshop for three or four days, and that's how we met. So it's really interesting. It's really interesting that we both had our first intro into Oslo dancing from Oslo street dance with Kimmy Steve. and, uh, and Steve. Yeah. He passed away. Rest in peace. Yeah. I don't know if you know rest that. So he yeah. passed away a couple of years ago. He, he had, he had, I a, actually named, I named my new B-boy Rhymosaurus character after him. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. As a dedication to him. He's, he's a, he was a big reason why I did. I survived. He was the guy that gave me the key to that room. I was going to ask you if that was him. That sounds like <laughs> something that he would do. I never told that. that. <laughs> <laughs> He, uh, yeah. Well, I was just saying he let me also collect all the bottles and bring them back for like recycle money. He, he was a good guy. Yeah. Little things like that, man. So, yeah. uh, when I was at, when I was at the studio teaching the first workshop, they had these dope ass pair of like graft out, uh, high tops that were there. Mm. And he was like, 
they're yours. It's like, no, I just like them. He goes, what size do you wear? It's like 44. He's like, that's what size they are. They're yours. I'm like, no, I'm <laughs> like, no, I'm not taking. He's like, no, we sell them, but this is the last pair and you like them. And I like you. So take them. Bruh, love those sneakers. I danced the fucking soul yeah, yeah. <laughs> them. And then they had a uh, belt buckle. I used to be in a bit, I used to be really big into belt buckles. They had a belt buckle that was a turntable and like the turntable actually moved on the belt buckle. He was like, well, so I, I saw it. I was like, Oh, that's dope. But he gave me the sneakers first. And on the last day when I was about to leave, he, uh, we were going to the train, uh, the bus station. He was like, by the way, this is for you. He gave me the fucking belt buckle, bro. I was like, I will definitely be coming back. That's amazing. That's the kind of guy he was. Yeah. Yeah. He was a good dude. And then he connected me with, I'm not sure if you remember Mark Fox, who was an American. Uh, he was a dancer. Yeah, that babe. Uh, and then uh, Cassandra. Oh, I remember him. Yeah. yeah. And then Cassandra, who is Norwegian, we connected there. And he brought, he brought me back for a fashion show. Like they had dancers and stuff, like a hair show and fashion show and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I got connected to Cassandra that way. And then she brought me back for a vocal oh, workshop. Tall Cassandra? Yeah. She's the, she's the one that booked me for that first battle that saved my life. The, wa- the whacking, yeah. the whacking battle. My first soul sessions battle was her. She also gave me my envelope with money, which I just, I just did it to, I wanted, I thought I was volunteering Yeah, and they paid me and I was like, and that's why I'll love her forever. Cause uh, she's a very iconic moment when she handed me that envelope. I was like, word. Yeah. Thank you. I'll see you at the next one, guys. All right. <laughs> She's a good lady, man. She, her and her whole team has made the Vogue scene in Norway pop, dude. It's beautiful. Yeah. Shouts to the Meraki crew. Shouts yes. to my man, Diesel. 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 Ninja. My boy. He's one of my good buddies. Yeah, I love that guy. Um, oh, I can't wait to come. I can't wait to be there with you together. We're going to, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Fun. It's funny. It's funny. It hasn't but happened no. in 10 freaking years, but it'll happen. So then. It will. It will. I, so how did you how did you connect to uh, Kevin Adela and uh, what what was it, what was the third dude's name? Uh, Fats Gabriel Gabriel yeah Fats the other Puerto Rican yeah Gabriel yeah that was that was during the the Nomad years so that same time of two thousand and nine to two thousand and eleven mm-hmm. I I am forever grateful to those guys because uh, you know it was Kimmy and and Stieg's hospitality kept mm-hmm. me alive all those early b-boys and my buddy daniel uh Ray, his name's raised the don a good dude he let me crash at his apartment forever uh adela kevin and gabe all just helped me survive by finding me places to crash like they would bring me to these after parties with these really beautiful like etrian girls and ethiopian girls that they knew and like i'm just chilling at this somalian girl's house and we're all just hanging out just playing video games and, and hitting the spliffs and i'm like safe you know what i'm saying uh, that's why they became my brothers because nice. they just embraced this guy from New York and, and really took care of me. we you know, working on art together. And Kevin is one of, in one of my early music videos from 2010. It's still on YouTube. Um, Adele is just a beautiful soul. And, you know, Gabe is just a smart kid. He's a man like academic. He's still this grimy rapper, but he's like this academia dude now. And I love yeah. it. Um, to see all of my friends grow, you know, but, those guys helped me survive. So when are, I was uh, uh, when I was a vagabond, are you still are you still in touch with any of them? Are you following what they're doing? Because Kevin, every time, every time I go back, I I'm like I'm back. Yo, they'll they'll come grab a beer. We'll catch up. They're also busy. Like 
you know, Kevin tries to come to my shit, but he's like on Broadway. Yeah. Or Adele is like, don't be there. He's like, ah, I have an audition. I'm on a TV show. And I, it's like, do your thing, bro. I'll see you, I'll see you next year. Yeah. Kev, so it's, uh, Kev had a it's huge, nice. Kev had a, uh, he was on one of the singing competitions last yep. year in Norway. And like, like those small kind of Eurovision type contest things. Yeah. Yeah. No, not that one. This one was, this one was Adele sort of, is in like a lot of English versions of plays as well. Yep. Uh, Adela did Book of Mormon. We actually played the same role. I did the one in Copenhagen and he did the one in Oslo. That's he did cool. one in Oslo. Um, he's been in a number of plays uh, there. And Kevin, like I was saying, has done it was it wasn't the Eurovision one. It was it was uh, it was sort of like Amer- it's sort of like America's Got Talent. Or oh, got it, like, got it. I don't something they like have that. No, yeah, Norske, it's called Norske Talente. That's I'm not their sure. version of it. I would, it might not have been that show, but I, he was on that too. Yeah, I was so, on that too back in the day. <laughs> so I love, I love, I love seeing these dudes rock. I, like I'm so proud because again, I was introduced mm-hmm. to these. I was introduced to this crew by meeting up with you, and then we became friends, and then World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it was. So let's talk about that World Cup. It's summer of 2010. The beer was a beer garden with a giant projector screen outside. Yeah, and it just happened to be Ghana. Ghana and was were they playing the USA? US? Yeah, that's why we went. It was it was so dope, and I was like sort of secretly rooting for Ghana anyway. But it was. Just- I remember vividly a lot of that day because the 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 Africans were on the bottom area with their drums. Yep. and they were playing congas, wilding out. Yep. And then we had our American crew up in the rafters, kind of like we were up in the bleachers. Way seats. up in the back. Uh, then more Americans started joining us and sitting with us. And then when we tied the game, my favorite part was when we all started a USA chant and it got <laughs> real loud. And then they were booing us. And then some one of the random guys that we didn't know him, him and me, I remember screaming out, he was going, you love us. We started hip hop. And I was like, and Hollywood, we got, you got movies and the Simpsons because of us. And then he was like, and he was like Chinese food delivery. And I was like burrito. And we were like, wait, that's ethnic food that we just stole. <laughs> Pizza delivery. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, that's Italian. That's not us either. And we were like laughing about that. Cause we're bragging about all this stuff that Americans brought to the table. Which Hollywood is- and hip hop is, is huge. Yeah. We did create that. Hip hop, rock and roll, like yeah. Europe went and ran with it and made it better, of course. Whoa! But to brag, back that shit up. No, I mean it full circle. They like, like you know, think about like how 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 Europeans embraced boom bap. You can still go to Colombia or like Budapest, and there's like someone with an MPC scratching with an SP twelve hundred. Like that's what I mean. Okay. They, they like they took it, kept it alive, and then we and then okay. Now the world does it. I don't okay. mean better. We're still the originators. I just meant, I like that you can go to pockets of the world and there's still people doing the four elements the way I love it. Okay. Doesn't mean that the internet changed it though. <laughs> you know, no, you know what I, I meant better. Like they took it to a better place. Cause I like that. It's global. I love that. It's yeah. You can go to Mongolia or you can go to, you know, any country that has electricity and someone is doing some kind of rhyming and yeah. beat making. I love it. It was, yeah, so I'm into world hip hop. I'm so happy that breaking's in the Olympics. It's crazy. Have you ever been to Japan? 
No, it's on my my uh, bucket list, I guess you would call it, because I'm also a huge baseball guy. And mm. as a young kid, I dreamt of attending a Japanese baseball game. It's something I've always wanted to do. Just want to be in the stands and see what it feels like to be at a Japanese baseball game. But because I love turntablism and scratching and rhyming, I do also, if I'm there for the baseball game, I also want to like document and, and, and just meet cool people doing the four elements out there. I'd love it. I would love that. Well, that's the reason why I was asking because Japan is like, they have inhaled hip hop oh. culture. It was yeah, even like, some of my favorite DJs, Han, DJ Honda and like Dan, the automator. I think they're both Japanese. So it's so, I was walking around one time, I was trying to find one of the dance studios and you know, everything. The thing about Japan is that none of the street signs have like, uh, what's the out, like the Cyrillic alphabet, like A, B, C, D, E, like it's all Japanese kanji. So you can't figure out where the hell you are. Like you can't figure out where you are. So I'm just like, Hey, point to the picture like this. And they're like, Oh yeah, follow me. And they, they're walking. And, uh, <laughs> Oh no, actually I was trying to find a restaurant because earlier I found a dance studio from another people. So I'm walking to, I'm looking for a restaurant and they're in there and these three dudes are walking and they're looking at me and they look at me and they turn and one guy goes, dancer. I'm like, yes. Dancer. And then, and then they go, oh yeah. Break dancer. I'm like, yeah, I, I break. How the, how do you know this? And they looked at me, they're like, they just pointed me up and down. You dance your outfit. <laughs> yeah. Your, your, your gear, what you were wearing. No, it was, I was just, you know, my, my East coast style. I got flavor and wherever I go, I just yeah, dress, yeah. but they were like, Oh, cool. And they were just so happy. It's just like the brain. They're like, we got you. Just follow us. It's, it's fine. But they, they love if you're, if you're any type of hip hop or dancer, MC, graph art, they're like, bruh, bring it in. Love. I, I love, love that. Japan. dude. Love Japan. You remember those, like, um, like the those day. What's his name, Anthony Bourdain, or those travel shows, like yeah. Bizarre Foods. Mm -hmm. I always had a dream. I, I I could pull it off one day because nowadays you can just do it yourself. I always wanted to make a travel show where I go to obscure small countries. Like I don't want to do episodes in France and Spain and Portugal mm -hmm. or even Japan. I want to go to Mongolia. I want to go to Liechtenstein. I want to go to Luxembourg. I want to go to Madagascar, like places you wouldn't imagine where is the real four elements happening in these places and find it. Bruh, make it happen. And talk to them. And, yeah, I always wanted to do a travel show like that. It was called Boom Bap Across the Map. That was the name of my my TV show idea. That was also a tagline you used to use when you were traveling back and forth between Oslo and New York. That's true. And it's now it's my LLC. Ah, nice. Yeah, businessman. Full circle. Jay-Z, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. man. <laughs> we get it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> nah, shout to Jay-Z. Brooklyn, Brooklyn, all day. Uh, yeah, man. So I was just going to say, I finally went back this year after three-year hiatus hosting. Nice. Where? It felt good. Back to Oslo to do Soul Sessions, the, their annual extended. Oh, thanks for letting me know. Yeah, that was it. That, that was my little tidbit. No, I meant thanks for letting me know that you were in Oslo when you were in Oslo, seeing that I'm only three hours away. I thought I did. I don't know. If I checked the messages, I might have it might have been too late. It was probably like a month before. Wait, that was this summer? Uh no, this past October. Nope, I could ah, uh, you did. I was performing. Never mind. You were. Yeah. All right, you're right. I, okay. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
<laughs> so it was 2014, you said, that you had to go back because mom was sick? Pretty much around that time. Yeah, 13, 14. My brother moved to Massachusetts around that time to start his family. So I had to be around more for my mom. Mm-hmm. And it was good because I, I fell back into working and, you know, doing the temp agency thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fresh off these wild European, uh, just the best time of my life pretty much at that time. And uh, I had to settle back into New York and get back into that grind, which was mm-hmm. different and, you know, a new challenge. And then luckily within half a year of being back, I got the Audible gig. So that was actually 2012. I got Audible. How did you hooked up um, with that? A very, very dear friend of mine, Emil, Emil Dave. That's how he pronounce his last name. His last name is Dave, but we say Dave to make it ethnic because he is like of Indian descent, I, I believe. <laughs> but then people were always in emails. They would just be like, hey, Dave, I'll meet you at the conference room. And they all thought his name was Dave. <laughs> anyway, but Emil used to be, a he was a dope engineer at these studios. And we got cool through like a, a tree man, through a, you know, connect. Mm-hmm. And then we he would just be cool and record us. Like he was one of those guys that liked how we rapped. So he'd record us for free and do these beautiful mixes and masters on our songs and made oh. us sound great. And he started working at Audible and then they needed like a temp guy. It was for this like sub part of Audible called ACX, where you can create your own audiobooks through ACX. So I was mm-hmm. a, uh, like a contractor. It wasn't even a temp. It was more like a, we're going to sign you to a nine month contract and see how it goes. And he saved me again. It was like a series of people just giving me opportunities and I ran with it. And uh, I was happy to have a solid job with good pay. I was commuting again crazy because this was in Newark, New Jersey. So I'm back to taking two hour subway rides to work every day. <laughs> but it paid well and good people. What was your what was your job? I was editing audiobooks. Just polishing audiobooks and doing data entry and adding the proper little taglines and intros and the ends and cleaning up this and making sure that the, the spreadsheet had all the, 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 the and it was just a lot of this analytics with audiobooks. That's how I started at Audible. But that team was, they gave me such freedom, like Char, my man Charles Clerk and 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 Nicole and my man Scott Jacoby and and. That whole team, dude, uh, and Jason, the, the the OG of all of them, Ayalvo, mm-hmm. he's not with them anymore, but they all really let me spread my wings and like, let me use vacation to go back to Norway. They let me, they let me use a sick day to go on, on late night with Jimmy Fallon. They let me use a sick day to go on Boomer Esiason's sports show and rap. Back up. You were on late night with Jimmy Fallon? Before he was the Tonight Show, yeah. When they would, it would, they would do this thing called rhyme. What was it called? It was something where like, Black Thought was a robot and he would give MCs three words and then Questlove and the Roots would do a beat and then we had to freestyle. The video was scrubbed off the internet, but my whole family has screenshots of it. It was sick. It was a sick moment in my life. Why is it scrubbed off the internet? Because when he became The Tonight Show, NBC took everything down. Oh, dickhead. So no one was at the time able to like video grab it or rip it, you know, but I have screenshots, so I have proof. Oh, but that team on ACX, um, Mike Stover, he was an amazing dude. That whole team, Hannah, I remember all their names because they were great people and they really were like, yo, do your job, but you're awesome and do that too. Like, do that, bro. Go on that show. Like, this is, we're so proud of you, you know? Um, so I love those people. 
That's nice to be supported like that at a at a yeah, company. The only job that ever did that. Every other job, I was like Darkwing Duck, hiding my hit my hidden persona. Like I'm a rapper at night. <laughs> I, I had my suit and my, I had my tie and my slacks, and then I would dun, 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 backwards hat hoodie. But Audible was like, "Yo, you rap? Do that here." So then, once I went from contractor to, "Hey, do you want to apply for a real job? We're doing interviews." I had to find a balance. I was like, yo, but I still got to do the Europe thing. I was actually in Norway when they were like, we're ready to interview you. And I was like, I'm I'm in Europe for two weeks on tour. And they were like, we'll interview you when you get back. And I was like, oh, I'll see you in two weeks. Then I got a permanent position. And then that was when it took off where I was like, this like nine to five guy in the audio stu- Audible Studios mm-hmm. department. And then this double life of emceeing and gallivanting around Norway with vacation time and sick days. Then and getting paid for being in Norway. Yes, but then my managers, two managers, leading me in two very good paths. My 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 good dude Jeff, he was the buy the books guy. You could rap all you want, but make sure you're doing your job, bro. And I appreciate that guy for that. Cause that kept me on the businessman level on the corporate side. And then Emil, who was then my manager was like, yo, rap at work, make a company rap video, freestyle at the all hands meeting, bring your beatboxer friends. Can you hire a DJ? We have a budget. And he was letting me become hip hop guy at audible. So then I'm getting paid and flown to Houston and I'm going to, f- to do a festival in Hoboken and I'm rapping with my hip hop crew for audible. So it taught me this. I spread my wings. It was sick. I'm like, Norwegian dance MC and I'm corporate all hands meeting MC rhyming for the suits and I'm doing festivals for this giant company. I'm like creating hip hop content and bringing producers and beatboxers to audible and doing like, it was sick dude, but I needed those two paths. I needed that one manager to go, don't get it. Let it go to your head. It was just crazy to have, a job encouraged my hip hopness and to bring it to the to the company to bring that to the corporate side. So while I'm there, I'm learning how to keep my rhymes clean and not curse because I'm hosting kids battles in Europe and I'm, right. I'm I'm doing workshops for little ones. Now I'm doing the corporate audible stuff. You can't curse here. You got to keep it clean for these these suits. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning the art of keeping it clean for kids and grown ups. Leads to my wife getting pregnant and me realizing I'm in my late thirties mid thirties at the time, actually. And how do I now use these skills of corporate business mindset, clean rhyming for my children, which led to, let me write these kids books. Let me write a rhyming kids book. So when my daughter's born, all the crazy stuff I said in my twenties, it's there. I don't want to get canceled. I know I said those things, but this is me now. I'm a dad. I write children's books. I teach hip hop to youth. This is I was I was led here because of soul sessions, because of hosting dance battles. Like that all brought me here. Audible, like all, all the stuff from Brooklyn made me this guy who's in California now. <laughs> and just teaching hip hop. So the, the, I realized I look back and it's like all those things had to happen for me to be here. And that company was great. Audible was the best. So did you leave? Did you leave Audible? What made what made you leave Audible? Coming here, my wife was kind of sick of the New York grind because she was doing a lot of just a lot of like, you know, working here and there kind of stuff. And she's like, I want to be close to my family. I want the kids to have cousins and aunts and uncles and grandma. So they're all in Stockton. And I was like, work, I'll switch roles. And that's kind of what I did. I said, I'll be stay home dad 
And if you want to give it the career thing another shot, and she's been doing great. She's been at the same company for six years. I've been a stay-at-home dad for five to six years since I moved here, and I'm just running my own business with the kids' books, and I'm making sandwiches and driving the kids to school. I got my license here. And then, you know, weekends and nights, I'm doing my children's book, and I'm doing events and literacy through this and library visits and school assemblies, and it's awesome. I love it here, man. California was, like, good for my soul having a house in a backyard during the quarantine and everything, you know, Dope. it was a big deal. Yeah. So how did you and your wife meet? When did you and your wife meet? Uh, this probably right before my journeys to Europe, kind of, we became homies and we met in, in San Francisco. I was out there for like recording and performing at a show. And she was at the same venue and they were having a video release party because they shot the music video at her apartment. Um, so that's how I met her. I actually gave her my CD, a compact disc. Remember those, Mike? <laughs> a compact disc. Uh, I gave her my CD and I had my phone number on it. So we just became friends. And then she started visiting New York to see her best friend, Ashley. We, we were just homies, but then we had fun together. So then once I was coming back from Europe and stay, staying in the States again, mm-hmm. uh, I would go to LA and just stay where and just chop it up, hang out. And then we fell in love. Aww. She then. She then moved to New York to be close to her best friend and me. And we tried to see what we could do. Mm-hmm. We had the baby in Brooklyn. She was born. Sully was born in Brooklyn. And then we moved to Stockholm. So she she moved here. We we moved here when Sully was like five, six months old. But she still got it in her blood, right? So Tana, show me hand. Just shake your butt. Show me hand. Where you going, bro? <laughs> so how did you come up with Rhymasaur? I was, uh, back when I was home in Brooklyn, I was still, you know, I mean, I'm 35 at the time, 34, feeling like an old rapper, but I'm still in like the freestyle rap circuit. So I was doing all these competitions. Mm-hmm. You want milk? I got you. It's a little extra podcast guest in the background. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm doing these freestyle rap battles, this thing called the MC challenge by e- EO dub. Mm-hmm. That was a sick contest that I lost so many times and finally won the American championship. And it felt nice. I had to lose seven times to earn that win. And I lo- and I think it was great. It had to go that way. Uh, this thing called Supreme Bars is actually what made me think of Rhymasaurs is because I won. I won a $200 gift card, I think it was. And I spent half the money to take a cab home because my wife was pregnant and I felt bad about being far away from her. <laughs> and that's kind of when it all hit me. When I'm like, yo, I'm out here gallivanting, rocking freestyle contests with a pregnant wife at home. This isn't, uh, this doesn't match with dad hours. Mm-hmm. You know, how can I rhyme and be a dad? How can I rhyme and not be out till three in the morning at the studio or at a freestyle contest? Write a children's book. So it was more about the name. I didn't think, I was like, I got to write a kid's book with a cool theme. So that night I got home at like three in the morning. I had a hundred dollars left from my, I had my trophy. I have these rap trophies. And I just spent all night until I fell asleep thinking I need to do rhyming robots. No rhyming aliens. No rhyming trucks. No, I couldn't think of a name that fit with a cool thing that kids like rhyming, rhyming trolls. Like I'm trying to rhyming monsters. Yeah. Monster flow. Yeah. And I'm like thinking of these ideas, but no monsters is too, this too. And then I woke up the next morning, did a little breakfast, got out the shower, rhyming dinosaurs. Cause of my nephew Reed loves dinosaurs. It's like, let me, at the time I had a baby on the way, but I had a nephew. So the baby inspired me to do kids content, but my nephew inspired the dinosaur side. That was the inspiration. My nephew 
nephew as cute as him made me say, I think I need to do dinosaurs, rhyming dinosaurs. And I kept saying in my head, rhyming dinosaurs, how do I mix that? And then the name just popped in, boom, rhymosaurs. I spelt it out. I was like, yo, this might be it. I Google it, doesn't exist. I went that minute, that very minute, I went on legal Zoom because I had a job. I was working at Audible. I had money. I trademarked and copywrote the name. Dope. Well, no, no, sorry. I copywrote the name. My buddy at Audible, Jason Merlino, designed the logo. And th- that very week, I then trademarked the logo. I protected the logo and the name. It's mine. It's legal. Um, and then my brain went into overdrive. I was like, Rhymosaurus, this is it. My children's book series. Uh, and then I thought of the first book because my illustrator, Charles Ugas, the greatest, one of the greatest of all time, he brings my rhymes to life. He's the guy that draws dinosaurs off of my lyrics. That's all he uses is he reads my rhymes. Sometimes he'll listen to a demo, but a lot of times it's just a transcript or an email of, of, of written bars. He draws these characters. He's, an, he's incredible. Um, and just to make sure he was protected, I copywrote the characters 100% under his name. Uh, so that if something happens with the cartoon down the line or we get a bigger publisher like Penguin or Random House, legally he's a part of it. There's no way they can cut him out. You can't push him out of it. You can't, yeah, he has to be a part of it. Um, I trademarked the logo and the name under me and I copywrote the artist, the, the, the first two main characters under him and some of the new ones too to protect us. You know what I'm saying? Because, yeah. you know, and that was it. We just went, we went. What is it to the races? I guess I wrote yeah. the first book in 2017 when I first moved to. Le- I left New York and came to Stockton, California, and that was my first book. Tommy Rex, brush your teeth, Rex. Little T Rex arms. He can't brush his back teeth good. Uh, we also put a bonus section at the back of our book where it's black and white, so you can remix the whole book and write rhymes and color it. So that's fire. Nice. Yep. And then uh, I did the second book because Legal Zoom was like when I uh, when I trademarked it as a book series. They're mm-hmm. like, it's a series. We need proof of a second book. It has to have at least two books to be a series. So I pushed out a second book, twenty eighteen or nineteen, about a girl who can't fly. Tara takes flight. Third book came out right before COVID twenty nineteen, and that put a big kind of halt on everything. Which I thought I was a little bummed out about every all these school gigs I was getting got canceled. Transitioned uh, to Zoom. And then I actually got an uptick because so many schools had people just drop like flies. Like, I'm not trying to do Zoom programming. And I I took all those jobs. And I was on Zoom freestyling, teaching the rhyme writing, doing story time on multiple platforms for multiple after school programs, schools, nonprofits through a very good friend of mine, Paula Shield, she got me all these Zoom gigs because she had grant money. Nice. COVID grant money and art money, which I thought it was going to all crumble apart and it went actually, it scaled higher and now that I'm more in person, I'm doing full assemblies with DJs, doing library visits. It's, it's nuts, bro. So it, it turned out kind of okay for me, the being stuck at home and all that. And the schedule works out with being a stay-at-home dad because you can do those school events mm-hmm. while the kids are in school and your wife can still yep. do her work and then you come home and then you have the the evening dad shift. Shouts to grandma too. Grandma helps a lot when I have like afternoon stuff. She'll she'll scoop them up from, from school and watch them for a couple hours. Grandpa will swing by for a little bit. 
So nice. it's a team effort. A lot of times I bring them with me because she's beatboxing with me. She memorized my stories. She will do Twinkle Twinkle or like Old McDonald or Jingle Bells, but to like Boom Bat Primo beats and like Large Professor beats. I did say Jingle Bells, bro. Let me hear it. Go. Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells. Oh, that's, I thought you were going to rap it, bro. I thought you were going to rap it. So sometimes when I have no babysitter, I bring them with me and they kill it. They're on the mic with me. We're doing like, they watch this show called Coco Melon and they do some of those songs on beats. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, a little hip hop story time, man. It's it's crazy that it's like a fan, it feels like a partridge family or like, you know, like Donnie and Marie. Like it's like a family thing where you're like rhyming with my kids. Yeah. It feels good, you know? Well, it's, so that's how, when I watched, I quote unquote watched Sully grow up because you were, uh, from when she was oh, like yeah. one, she was already oh, yeah. in like freestyle rhythms. Like she couldn't talk, but she was zaba zaba za, zaba zaba za. You remember that her gibberish, bro? Yeah. I I am Sully. I'm one of Sully's biggest fans. Like from the moment she started, I was just like, "Yo, this girl and Leo. I love yeah. you too, Leo." <laughs> Ooh, take it easy. Drink some milk, buddy. And, yeah, I appreciate uh, that. She caught on so quick. She did. And then I just recently you had her on a TV interview with you mm-hmm. uh, promoting the show. And the, and the she was popping. what's that? She asked me very politely, Daddy, can I I don't want to rap. Can I just pop while you yeah. while you rhyme? And I just <laughs> and I was like, anytime, any element of hip hop you want to do, I'll support it. That is sick. I will. Yeah. So, again, as many of you know that are listening, if you're listening for the first time, uh, I usually uh, post a clip of something my guests have done. I will see if I can find one of the ones with Zeps and Sully rhyming. Cool. Just in the, I, I think one of my favorite ones, I think you were like in the park or something. Just, you know what? Let's just hit a beat. And she just goes. <laughs> it is yeah. so dope. Inspiring, man. I love it. And so is, Le- is, Le- is Leo getting into it as well? Yeah, he got his rhythm down. It took him a little while. She had it right away. I ca- One time I taught her how to count in on beat. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, yo, Sully, let it loop and just go three, two, one, go. Yo, no, 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 no. First time ever. He was practicing a lot in the car. He'd be like, daddy, put beats on. That was a big moment for me when both of them, I was playing some random music and they asked me, daddy, can you turn off that podcast or can you change the rock and roll? I want to hear beats. And I was like, word. Parenting done but right. Do yeah. So I put on some instrumentals and then Leo started practicing uh, Fish Alive. One, two, Three, four, five. Once I caught a fish alive. Right, Leo? That's your favorite rap? So he, he would practice that. And, I, you know, so it's awesome, man. It, it shows me that what I'm doing works because it's working for other kids, but it's working for my kids. Like they're yeah. learning more. Their, their vocabulary is crazy. She's already reading and she's five. She writes her full name, full alphabet. He's three and he's already writing letters. And so I think it's showing that this hip hop education is actually like sustainable. And you know, and you, it's meaningful. You've just you've just hit a major point of contention for me when it comes to governmental and poli- uh, political ideologies about the arts. Because, as you know, most every government around the world is cutting funding to arts. And I'm like, do you not understand that our society would not be where it is without the arts? What do we use to teach kids? Insane. How to say their name? It's music. It's rhymes. It's rhythms. Yeah. Only thing we do. We how do we teach them the coordination? We teach them silly dance moves. It is art. What do you do when you want to? 
the hokey pokey, turn yourself around, put right from you give, it, you give any kid a marker, and what do they do? They start, they just start drawing. It's because that's how their brains develop. We have not we, because we understand it. I don't just don't understand how yeah. some of these old fucks get so into power. Actually, it's now young. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize. I didn't remember. Uh, this so they, know, they know Daddy has a foul mouth. <laughs> they, uh, these, these people, in, once they get into political power, it's like, oh, we're going to stop funding the arts. I'm like, well, then you're, gonna, you're not going to have any designers because they don't know how to uh, design anything. You're not going to have any writers mm-hmm. because they don't know how to write. They don't know what an alphabet looks like. They don't know how to draw. They don't know how to read. Our, our basic language isn't art in itself. No musical composers for your soundtracks for the movies we love. <laughs> no movies because you won't have any actors. We won't have and any no, costume no designers. Cinema, you won't no, have any set designers because yeah, no, no one knows any color theory. No one knows oh. anything because it's all art. Right. Robots. That, that, that's what they want. <laughs> but every single one of them that t- try and take away their opera. It's like, you're not touching my opera or my wind, my wind symphony orchestra. I don't, bruh, then love the arts. Because without any of the arts, none of these right. people would exist. You're right. I did get a few art grants during the past couple of years, and that, that helped me a lot when I was kind of down and out. I, mm-hmm. I applied for certain grants because I was I'm doing music education and stuff for kids and that was awesome i got a couple of those the past couple of years for a, nice. for a couple grand and that was keeping me going and i was able to keep doing events for kids and so it, it's out there it exists so is that is that your main not your mainstay but is that what you're doing a lot of is like live events for student for kids with uh with rhymosaurus uh yeah it's a, it's like a kind of rotating combo of um of of either I get hired by a school district or it's people with nonprofits with grant money that have to apply that money in a specific way. Where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, I got this grant, a music grant, and it has to be something for children, low-income kids with music. And I'm like, I got you. That's me doing story time with my DJ. Boom. Sometimes nice. it's a grant for I, we need to do arts and crafts and so show kids about street art and murals. That's the specific thing for this grant. So mm-hmm. boom, we'll do a thing. I'll, I'll hire two graffiti writers to show kids bubble letters and how to shadow and do 3D. We apply, so it's a mixture of school visits and then also nonprofit collabos. And then as a rapper, 41-year-old rap dude, I work for this super dope company called Event Rap. And this guy during the pandemic was getting Zoom meeting gigs where we have the camera off, Mm -hmm. fly on the wall, taking notes. And at the end of the Zoom meeting, when everyone's tired and wants to just sign off and go back to jammies, this is in the pandemic, we then go, special guest, yo, Check it out. Shouts to Maria. She's so astounding because she works hard with Jeff from accounting. Maria and HR, she's the best. Shouts to Steve and shouts to Jeff. And I'm like rhyming about this company and all the cool people that work there. And or or we'll do a freestyle with Zoom chat and they'll type words in the Zoom chat. And in another MC are going back and forth, four bars, freestyling about all the words and the emojis they're giving us. Getting paid hundreds and thousands of dollars for this. Uh, that's sick as an MC to have work like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, I'm a seasoned writer. I'm a seasoned <clears throat> performer. And you, when you feel like you're an old rapper, like that's why I wrote kids books when I was 35. I'm able to make a living. And now I'm, now he's getting in-person gigs and he, we do custom raps where a company gives us keywords and we actually create a full written song, record it, do a video for it, send it back to them. They approve it and they show it at their company all hands meeting for 8,000 people. It's wild. Nice. So I'm, I'm, I'm challenged as a writer because now he's like, bro, I need you to do a dog shelter rap about rescuing dogs. Or, hey, you got to do a DNA rap about splicing and, 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 and this. Oh, sick. Hey, this 
African tech company wants to talk about investing in African tech, write a rhyme about that. Whoa, genetics and evolve evolution of humans. This is the new one I just did. Write a rhyme about that. And I'm doing scientific research and looking at these like science journals and these LinkedIn articles and listening to professors speak and putting it in a rhyme. Ooh, it's fun, bro. Nice. Again, found your niche again. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, it's a cool balance because I'm doing the kid stuff, but I'm still getting a lot of MC gigs, hosting corporate events, nonprofit fundraisers, canine unit fundraisers, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I'm just trying to do that balance of like, hey, I, I know I do the kid stuff, but I'm a grown man too. I could do that. Is this all primarily based in the Stockton area or are you traveling a little bit with it? Yes, but like earlier, it's spreading a lot to the Bay and LA now for me. Mm. Um, Audible even, I, they hired me three times since I left as an MC to like host a game show, do a freestyle improv game. I, I got nice. flown to Houston. I got flown to another spot for, I did something in Cali for them. So they still hire me to do hip hop content for the audiobooks. Like when they need a beatboxer or like a ghostwriter or a rapper on an audiobook, they do remote engineering and I, and I get paid through them and they pay me to be the hip hop guy on some of this audio content. Nice. So I'm, I'm using all of my MC skills and paying bills and getting money for it. So it's pretty, it's pretty solid. Oh, bro. Well, then we know what's next for him. I didn't have to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love it. So uh, before we before we finish off, there's one more sequence of the show. Um, because my last name is Gamble, I bought a roulette table. Boom. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Each shot glass is uh, numbered that coordinates to a question. And we spin the roulette table and you answer the question. Game? Cool. I love it. Let's do I it. I love gambling. It's not... <laughs> It's nothing shady or anything like that. They're just fun questions to ask people that I have as guests. All right. So we have darkest secrets. <laughs> I might I should I should probably put that one on. I'm gonna have to update the list soon. Uh it's been a year, so new questions. All right, so spin the magic ball, spin the magic roulette table. Number 35. Ooh, I like that. On the house, whatever you want people to know. On the house? What's that phrase mean? Whatever you want the people to know. Oh, like on the house, like here's some free French fries. Like um, on the, oh, like okay. the house, as like in gambling, the house is so it's on the I house. It. Yeah, got it, got it. Um, the the b boy character of our next book, Stieg Olesoris. <laughs> it's because his name is B boy S O S. So those are his initials, Stieg Olesoris. It's yeah. a very Scandinavian b boy S O S. He is Stegosaurus because he's a Stegosaurus. He has, I'm going to send you these coloring pages too. If you ever do youth stuff, you can hand these out for free. He has the Stegosaurus plates on his back. Mm -hmm. He can't do backspins. He can't do a lot of power moves. He's hindered from doing those such moves because of his, he doesn't want to call it a disability, but because of his structure, his body type. Yeah. And he keeps losing battles and he's bummed out about it. Then he meets an MC from Brooklyn. MC Tim Rex, he, mo- he moves to Norway to study uh, hip hop and study art. And he introduces him to a B girl from the Bronx who's the best top rocker in the world. And she trains Stieg online how to be more funky and top rock to win battles since he can't do backspins and power moves. And it's inspired by all of my Norwegian B boy friends that I've seen. These guys that were like 38, 39 go against a guy who's like top rocking off beat but doing crazy tricks. 
but the funky guy would win the battle because he was more in tune and just he was just really b-boying better than the flippy flippy trick guy so this b-boy character is modeled after it's an amalgamation of all those friends and he's a funk b-boy a top rock b-boy who starts to win battles and to and he makes it to the olympics that's my next book when is that when is this book releasing do you know or is it just in progress? Um, we're trying. We're trying to make it in conjunction with the Olympics. So maybe late 2023. Yeah, I would say late 2023, so that it's ready for the 2024 Paris Olympics. I want it to be. I want to help with awareness. I just, you know, I, I, I made a, I made a profile on the USA Breaking site. I want to be involved. I'm trying to do qualifiers where I live in Stockton. <clears throat> I want kids to know that you don't need a lot of equipment to train for it. You just need music. Dope. You don't need hockey equipment. You don't need track and field equipment. That's all expensive shit. You need to go practice somewhere and hire a coach. You don't need that if you want to be a sick b-boy and make it to the Olympics. I want to bring awareness to the people in the States, but also it's also my love letter to Norway because the New York rapper meets the Norwegian b-boy and they start the Rhymosaurus crew. Two kids from two countries, but fall in love with hip-hop together to show that you can be from two countries that maybe don't like each other. And come together and be like, yo, I love you. You're a DJ. I'm a DJ. Who cares about the other shit? Love conquers all. That's so, bro, that is so dope. Yeah, Norwegian B-Boy. He's going to make it to the top. <laughs> that is that is such a, that is, that is a dope-ass story. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be in rhyme form. Where can people find the first three books of Rhymosaurus? Four. We got four now. What's the um, four? Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. So we have uh, T-Rex Brush Your Teeth. We have Tara who can't fly. Takes flight. Tara can't fly. Sarah Tops who doesn't want to try new food. She's a picky eater. Try Sarah Tops. Aha. The newest one is called 209asaur because it's the area code in Stockton. His dad gets a promotion and moves from Brooklyn to Stockton. So it's about moving to Stockton. Nice. And how it's a nice place to live because it gets a little bit of a bad rap. In the media and on Instagram, they kind of want to make Stockton look like this super scary place, but everywhere in the world is like that. Yeah. I tell people I was in like the wild Malmo immigrant Swedish projects where I saw the wildest illegal activity imaginable. Uh, so don't talk to me about the hood. Right? It's everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, the fourth book is about moving to Stockton and how it's a nice place to live and a, and a great place to raise a family. Nice. And then the fifth word will be Stegosaurus. Will be the adventures of Stegosaurus with a cameo kind of feature of MC Tim Rex, who's the rapper who moves to Norway and becomes an MC. So it's all loosely based on me, versions of me. Uh, it's very autobiographical, but with dinosaurs. <laughs> nice. And where can people find <laughs> where can people find these four books right now? Amazon is the best place. If you're anywhere uh, international, they'll ship it anywhere. I published with them. So nice. Uh, you know, it's like a big business that feels like it might be crushing small business, but it's also a big business allowing a small business to exist. So shouts to Bezos. Nice. Um, you know, and then, and then if people want to follow your adventures of boom bapping across the map, where can they find you on social media? Uh, Instagram, you know, Rhymosaurus has a web, oh, Rhymosaurus.com. We have that. We got the okay. website. Uh, it's hard to spell sometimes, but you know, you could probably see it somewhere or Michael type it up. Yep. And, uh, R-H-Y-M-O-S-A-R-U-S.com, Rhymosaurus. Yeah, yeah. And Zeps, if you know, I'm still, I have albums and singles on Spotify and videos on YouTube from my younger days of my raunchy, crazy songs I used to make. You know, you could see what I used to do. I used to battle. I have rap battles on YouTube and 
But you know, I'm still putting out content now and doing grown man rap. Was it? Uh, I stopped grown cursing. Man, grown man rap. I love it. All right, Will Smith. I stopped cursing, Mike, on purpose. Nice. And all my songs, I just took it out. No more. Don't need it. Yeah, that's what Will Smith said years ago. Yeah. Occasionally, I'll let it fly if it makes sense because for the punchline. But most ninety nine percent of it is clean now. Nice. It's a good challenge. Yeah. So it's uh, Amazon. Uh, internationally for the Rhymosaurus books. We have Rhymosaurus.com. Mm-hmm. That's the website you can follow. You have, uh, yep. the, is Rhymosaurus on Instagram? It is. Same same tag, same name. At, at Rhymosaurus. And then Zeps, to follow you. It's, just, yeah, Google me. I have Instagram. It's Zepstagram. But if you just Google Zeps, a lot of my stuff comes up. That's my. I tell people that's my website. Yo, my website, google.com. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. You know, I still do rhyming here and there. It's fun. I'm putting out a couple projects this year with some producers. Nice. Uh, feels good. Sweet. Yeah, rapping on Willow one day. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. This is fun. This yeah. felt like free, uh, free um, therapy sesh. It's, little, listen, little it's, it was nice. My peoples have stories to tell and they need to tell them. We never really have it because so, so my, my biggest thing is that, you know, many times these are interviews and interviews have a certain thing they want you to say or to get through or a point or a storyline. I'm like, nah, just we went through so many, like you even were like, I never thought about that. That's what, I, that's what I want. I want to get the yeah. real, I want people to have real access to my guests so that they feel like they're in a room having the conversation with us. So it's not just that's awesome. It's not just talking about stuff. It's talking, it's talking about stuff and like relating, being yeah, real, human interaction. Exactly. Through, through robots and technology. Yes, but speaking of robots and technology and interacting, if you're not doing already, make sure you're following at Gamble's Green Room on Instagram to stay up to date of all my guests and, as I said, some featured clips and behind the scenes of what we talk about here. And then, of course, uh, like, subscribe on all your favorite audio digital streaming services if you're not doing that yet. Um, and I'll keep you posted on more stuff that's coming. Bruh, primo. Great to see you, dude. Good to see you, brother. I'll be back next year in, in Oslo. Hopefully, you're, you're off. I'll convince I, them to hire you as a judge. Yeah. Actually, you tried to. Uh, you asked me uh, once, <laughs> but then that's when I started working again. Um, but I couldn't come over. It's going to happen. Yeah. I'm around. Cool, brother. It's good talking to you. Tell the kiddies I said, great to see them. They're super dope. Yeah. You enjoy Thank the rest you, of your man. papa day. You Love too, you, bud. Peace.